This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault. Every once in a while, I like to have a chat with friends of the show. Not uh, about a specific movie or topic, but just to get to know them and their taste a bit better. I call these bonus episodes Better Know Contributor. In the past, we have done them with co-host Rachel Ho and friends Sammy Felchenfeld and Stephanie Pryor. On today's edition of the special, we have Callum McNabb, who was last heard on episode 138, Best Films of 2020, and is one half of the horror podcast Scare Traducing. It used to be a show where they were serious about series, but have since pivoted to reviewing new horror films. Every time I listen to the show, I learn a lot about the genre that I'm still relatively inexperienced with. Not to mention the chemistry between Callum and his wife and co-host Gisela never fails to make me laugh and smile. I'm sure today I'm going to get schooled on more horror history, so welcome back Callum. How are you? And I'm sure you are quite happy since Scotland just beat Moldova in the World Series qualifier. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Doing your research. Uh, yeah, Scotland, Moldova. Watched it last night. That's us for the playoffs. We are two matches away from a World Cup. So fingers crossed for that. We'll, we'll need to wait and see who we get because it's going to be tough. We've not been at World Cup since 1998, so... But I'm not here to talk about football, but yes, I'm buzzing for that. Um, and also, I'm, I'm good, and I'm, my answers to the questions that you sent out, I've, I've tried my best to stay away from, from horror. I mean, that's going to creep in every now and again, because I, 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 I do like cinema in general. I'm not one of these horror fans that is always arguing, like, you know, the Academy never recognises, you know, horror or genre. So it doesn't really bother me. I like it all. Um, the only reason that we did a horror podcast is because the only people that really talk about horror between me and my wife is me and my wife. None of our friends like horror. None of our families like horror. So we decided that's what, that was going to be our, our venture for our, our fandom of horror. But we do like cinema in general. So I've, I've tried to encompass my, my, uh, my appreciation of cinema in, in my upcoming answers. That, that is true. As a regular listener of your show, I know that you you two have often thrown your own Oscar parties and try to follow along as best as possible. And it isn't all about horror. It's just that's what your podcast is about. So I'm teasing you a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> no worries at all, no worries. So before I, we get into the questions, I am a little curious about uh, your podcast. You, you recently went from, as I mentioned, uh, a show talking about series of horror. So you would go through an entire franchise to now just sort of pivoting to covering new releases. I really enjoyed yeah. your malignant review. That was hilarious. It was one that I knew I probably wouldn't watch. So that's why I felt comfortable listening to it. I haven't listened to your <laughs> latest episode because you talk about Titan. And that's one I do want to see. And I want to watch that first before I, I hear your reactions. Fair enough. Um, the, I, I, we sort of changed just with the nature of um, lockdown and things like that with the with the the coronavirus last year. Um, I'm not entirely sure what sort of forced us into or or made us decide to not do do franchises anymore. We sort of, as I said, we began it because we were the only people that we sort of hang around with and know that like horror. Um, and the one thing that we realized was for two horror fans, we'd never really uh, completed a full franchise. Like I had not seen all the Halloween movies or all the Chucky movies or whatever by the time, you know, I started the podcast. So that was what we focused on. I don't really know why we decided to change. I think we just got a bit bored of the format. We're sort of 
discussing now whether or not we should go back. We've slowed down on producing episodes the last few months. But yeah, our most recent one was uh, was Halloween Kills and Titan, which is like a double episode. It's sort of more focused on Halloween Kills, just before you, you listen to it and get uh, get upset. But um, <laughs> Titan sort of just there in the background um, because we had also the same weekend went to see it. But oh, if you need to see that film, man, it's it's wild. <laughs> Yes, yes. So I've been uh, been told, which is why I've been uh, waiting to he- uh, to listen to it because I, I I don't want anything to be spoiled for me. Like I know the basic premise plotline, and other than that, I just know it's bonkers. Yeah, we definitely spoil it. We we uh, we're a spoiler film. We we always forget at the beginning of every episode to mention that we don't really do like a spoiler free segment of our of our podcast. We sort of just start, and then someone will just be like, "Oh yeah," and then this person does whatever, and it's like, "Oh." If the audience aren't aware, we haven't told them that there's not going to, that there's going to be spoilers. So, uh, yeah, there are Titan spoilers uh, in that episode. I almost feel with horror movies, it's kind of impossible to do spoiler-free reviews because so much <laughs> horror is about the surprise element. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, you're right. We we uh, we just sort of are quite lazy with it, but I'll I'll take that forward. And uh, if anyone criticizes us, I'll I'll use that as a defense. <laughs> I, I enjoy them. Like, like I said, because I don't usually watch a lot of horror movies, listening to the two of you go through the Saw franchise, where all I've seen is most of the first Saw, I enjoy your, your, your the conversation and, and Janelle <laughs> getting increasingly angry at, at you forcing her to watch them. Yeah, she got very disillusioned. She didn't even watch the before Spiral. So she, we saw Spiral at the cinema this year. But the, the two before that, so that would be Jigsaw's The Fight, yeah, so, saw the final chapter and Jigsaw, she just did not watch them. And so the episodes are sort of me telling her what happens. And she's like, yeah, I can't believe you made me do this franchise. And <laughs> I, I was arguing that I think it's a, it's an important franchise for... for I, If you've listened to our episodes on that, you'll know that I think Saw 1 is the most important horror film of the 21st century so far. I don't think it's the best, but I, I, my, I make an argument for it being the most important. So that was why I wanted to do that franchise. Now, as a fan of entertainment, it was great radio. But if I was your, your marriage <laughs> counselor, I would have some serious questions. Uh, thankfully, we're not there yet. But uh, I feel <laughs> if, we ever, if we ever do get there, that'll be day one of the, of the counseling will be. So have you seen the Saw films? Because if not, this is why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's good to know. I think we should get into these questions, but uh, for those for those unaware with the format of these shows, I have the same 10 movie-related questions that I ask each guest just to hear what they have to say, so let's get into it. The first question is, how many ContraZoom Pod episodes have you been on, Callum? Well, uh, thank you to yourself for already emailing me this answer. The answer is five. Um, however, I believe only one of them is like an in-person interview back and forth kind of like this the other ones have been me sending in like little snippets of recordings or whatever um but five in total i i agree which follows directly up with the next question do you have a favorite guest appearance which i'm guessing i can probably assume which one it is so i assume you think it's going to be the invisible man yes yeah the make we make one yes that is i've picked two for this one it's that because obviously that was like like this. It's talking. It's interacting. It's it's everything that the other ones weren't. As I said, I just sent in um, 
voice snippets and whatever clips. But I did also like being part of the the best films of the decade. Like I loved listening to them and hearing what other people picked and why why other people were suggesting other films. So um, as much as I am only in that a little bit to say for I can't even remember what films I talked about for that that one, but being part of that was also cool. So those would be my two. Um, and I think the best films of the decade is like part one and part two. So technically that's three. So three out of the five, I'm happy with. <laughs> well, I, I love that the Invisible Man episode that we did. That was so much fun because you came with so much knowledge that I completely blew my mind. And I felt that we had such a great discussion about it. And, and you really kind of opened my eyes to those movies even more. Even if I was a little so-so on the, the Elizabeth Moss version, the Lee Winnell version. Oh, but... I still loved our discussion nonetheless. So, I mean, I'm sighing over here just as you said. I love the new Invisible Man. Like, I absolutely love it. But uh, I may have said this on the podcast. I can't remember, but I'll, I'll say it again because I think it's quite funny. Uh, about the Invisible Man, um, so it was at my old job. In the office one day, somebody had asked me, like, oh, you were at the cinema last night. What did you see? And I said, I saw the Invisible Man. And they said, like, their first question was, is he invisible? Like, is he actually invisible in the movie? And I was like, yeah, the, the character, yeah, he can turn invisible. And they said, you must have, like, a great suspension of disbelief. Like, because I couldn't buy that. And I was just like, if you can't buy someone being invisible in a movie called The Invisible Man, you are far too cynical, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, don't show them the Lord of the Rings, any Marvel movie, nothing like that. Yeah, you're just like, nah, that does, that's not real. It's like, just come on. It's called The Invisible Man. You expect that, if anything. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's a little ridiculous, for sure. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad you like doing the best films of the decade one. That was such a, uh ambitious project that I did, and I didn't know how it would turn out. And the fact that I got, I managed to uh, rope in so many different people to help out with it was was really truly impressive and it made me feel so happy about myself and, and what I was doing uh but yeah you you your inclusion that was was a big part of it that I was very happy about and uh I guess I'll let it slip here I'm considering of doing a uh, best of the half decade so maybe in a few years you'll you'll get a very long ranty email from me about asking for more help. <laughs> absolutely absolutely look forward to it in four years do you remember side note? Do you remember what the best film of the decade was considered? Because because I, I don't. Uh, it was Inside Out. Oh, the Pixar movie. Yes. I, I mean, I love that movie. So fair enough. Great. Mm-hmm. Well yeah, done. That, that to was, that was an interesting one. Yeah, it's a very interesting choice. But you know, well done to um, to putting that list together because I, I'll accept that. I'm 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 good with that. <laughs> it was it was the movie where yes it ranked highly on a few people's ballots but almost everyone had it in their top 25 that they sent me so by right. virtue of appearing on almost every single person's list it made the top yeah that's that's one of those things it's, it's like nobody considers it the number one but it's by default number one because it's just across the board yeah i'll accept it i like the inside out i cried at that movie <laughs> oh me too me too several times <laughs> All right, uh, so back with the questions. Now, here is probably the most difficult question to ask any single movie lover. What is your favorite movie of all time? I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970. 
hired a man named Charles Grady as the winter caretaker. So from what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family with an axe. Well, you can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I think this is pretty easy. I'm split between two. Uh, I say it's easy, and I just say I, I can't decide between two, but um, the two I always go for are The Shining, uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, and uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Those are the two that I always I always throw out as an answer to this question. So I'm throwing them both out here. I love it. Uh, I, I haven't seen The Shining. I've seen bits and pieces of it, and it looks too freaky for me. Uh, so no thank you. <laughs> Uh, but I have seen Mulholland Drive, but I, I'm, it's sort of interesting because like you said at the top, it isn't all going to be horror, but both of those movies, especially The Shining is definitely a horror film, but Mulholland mm-hmm. Drive has this sort of psychological horror aspect to it. Yes. I am not going to profess that I understand Lynch's work. I'm not one of these people. I love reading, uh, what people think about his work and different interpretations and talking about it and stuff, but yeah, I know I said I was going to stay away from horror, but Lynch freaks me out unlike basically anyone else. It's it, it's a weird sort of emotional horror that even if I don't understand what's going on, it terrifies me. The same with things like Twin Peaks um, or Lost Highway. The sequence in Lost Highway... Have you seen Lost Highway before I spoil this uh, sequence? No, but go ahead. Uh, it's, okay, well, it's not really a spoiler, but it's like a phone call you're talking to a man at a party and he gives you a phone and tells you to phone him because he's at your house, but he's standing in front of you and he phones him and he answers the phone and, but he's standing in front. It's just Lynch. It's just perfect Lynch, but it terrifies me watching it. Now, if you were to ask me what is going on in that sequence, how can he be in two places at once? Who is he? What's it a metaphor for? I have no idea, but it really gets under my skin. And I think the best project he's had for that as a whole, not just like one sequence here, one sequence here. I, I think it's Mulholland and Drive. Like I, I love that movie. Um, and it really does get under my skin in a way that, that so few things do, except maybe The Shining. The Shining's another one. So as a horror fan, I know I said I would stay away from horror, but those are the movies that I genuinely could put on time and time again, as much as people say that that might be psychologically damaging to you. And <laughs> I, I could do it. Um, and I just love, they're just, they're not quite as easily wrapped up in a bowl. Um, so you can read about certain things and, and discuss with people. What did you think that meant? I, I don't know. I just love both those movies. So um, those are, those are my picks for favorite movies of all time. As, as joyless as that may seem. No, I think those are great picks. So, <laughs> The next question is, what's a movie that you're embarrassed to say you've never seen? Okay, well, this one is not a horror film. It is Goodfellas. I've never seen Goodfellas. Interesting. Okay, are you a, a Scorsese fan in general, or, or what, what, why are you embarrassed to say that? Because, I mean, I've not seen all of Scorsese's work, but basically everything I've seen of Scorsese, I absolutely love. Like, um, what was it? Was his last film The Irishman? Was that his last film? Yep. I loved The Irishman. I remember someone at work went to see The Irishman at, uh, it played at a cinema here, because obviously it went on Netflix, but it played at a cinema here for like a, a week or two, and somebody went the day before me 
and they were like they came into work and and told me like that's it's going to it's going to push your patience and i absolutely adored it i, I thought the irishman was great <laughs> and, and so everyone's like it's the good it's good fellas but boring and old so i just keep imagining that good fellas is some violent magnificent thrilling theatrical experience um and i know people say it's such a bro choice but all the Scorsese films that are bro choices, like Taxi Driver, I love Taxi Driver, uh, is King of Comedy, would that be considered a bro choice? I don't know, but I love it. So I have no reason to suspect that I wouldn't love Goodfellas, and yet I've never sat down and watched Goodfellas. I've never seen Casino either, but I think most people consider Goodfellas better, so. Yeah, that's it. That's interesting. I, I, I have seen, I've seen that, I've seen Casino as well, and this sort of dichotomy of why is Scorsese's movies considered bro films when in reality their subject matter is so introspective and mm-hmm. thought-provoking? It's the mm-hmm. opposite of, of bro cinema, but the people that gravitate towards it, especially stuff like uh, Taxi Driver, is your you know your typical film bro? So it's just it's a very it's a very interesting dichotomy that I don't really have anything insightful to say on other than pointing it out because when I watch it I'm like what are you getting out of this movie that this is your favorite movie other than maybe the violence but are you not understanding why the violence is there? <laughs> yeah, I agreed. It's like um, I know people who uh, come away from the Wolf of Wall Street and think it's like the greatest thing ever and, and i love the book for wall street as well but they will you know retweet you know like these sort of like motivational quotes from um whatever his name is i can't remember who dicaprio plays in that movie i can't remember the guy's actual name but like they'll they'll retweet all these like instagram quotes and stuff and and i'm just like what do you get from the world for wall street that i don't get because i get the opposite from you and yet we both think it's great mm-hmm yeah. So I imagine yeah, Goodfellas is another one like that. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so who is your favorite director of all time? This is another one that was difficult to, to pick because I started going through um, directors that I that I love and then was thinking, but I haven't seen this movie or I haven't seen this movie. And the director I ended up picking, I have not even come close to seeing all their movies, but the reason I've chosen them is... I wouldn't be a cinema fan the way I'm a cinema fan today had my dad got me a DVD. Maybe I was maybe slightly too young. I was maybe it's a fifth. It's rated 15 here, but I got it when I was about 12, which was Psycho, um, and I just fell in love with Psycho. So I'm, I've got to pick Hitchcock because I fell in love with cinema and horror in a way that I don't think I would have without that movie, and so. As much as Hitchcock is a shitty person, I, I, that was the first director I, you know, ever fell in love with trying to understand what a director was and recognizing, oh, there is a signature style here between movies, even though they're not connected plot wise or anything like that. Um, Hitchcock is the, is my first deep dive in a way like that. So it, it, I think by virtue, it has to be Hitchcock. As simple a choice, basic that might be. I, I love that answer. In in my house, we stan Alfred Hitchcock movies, so uh, that is absolutely acceptable in, in my picks. Uh, it's interesting because, yeah, you know, he's got such a vast filmography. My wife and I tried, you know, 
working through a lot of his movies. Some of them are, are next to impossible to find at all. I think I've probably seen about 25 to 30 of them, and I've only scratched the surface, and that's more than most mm-hmm. Hitchcock fans have seen in general, too, which is like, it just blows my mind how many movies he has. And for the most part, they're all pretty good. And obviously, when you're talking about, you know, the, the five to eight big ones of his, how utterly redefining they are of cinema as a whole with psycho obviously being right at the top of the list yeah a hundred percent and you talk about all the films he has as well and then obviously i don't know exactly if he directed all the episodes or whatever but there's the the television stuff the alfred hitchcock presents i haven't seen any of that like you're talking about scratching the surface i've not come close but Mm. those films that you talk about those big ones that redefine cinema those are the ones that when I was 12, 13 and just getting into cinema that I somehow came across because I don't even know why my dad got me Psycho on DVD one year, but he just sort of knew that I was getting interested in, in film and he, he was like, this is a good one. This is one you'll like. Um, and he got me Psycho on DVD and I watched it. And I, it could be a false memory, but I'm pretty sure I already knew the twist to Psycho before I watched it the first time. And I'm also, I, I definitely knew the shower sequence. I, I mean, I think it's pretty hard to not know that. Even mm-hmm. even as a kid, like that gets parodied, parodied everywhere. So I knew the shower sequence, but I'm pretty sure I knew the twist. And then I stuck the movie on, and yeah, that's like a defining moment in terms of like watching film for me is Psycho. The the opening score, because obviously I knew the the, the shower sequence, the the, the screeching. Uh, violin score i knew that but i didn't know the the score that opens the movie and i was just like in love and terrified at the same time like almost immediately <laughs> um psycho's a big one for me uh, so it has to be hitchcock like i think about psycho quite regularly like almost all the time i think about psycho uh, like have you ever psycho terrifies me in a way that f- films rarely do as well and i don't know if that's because i saw it too young but um things like you know when marion crane goes to the bates motel for the first time mm-hmm. and she's in the rain and she beeps the horn and she looks up at the bates house and you see the silhouette of mother bates walking out through the bedroom yes. that terrifies me knowing what is actually happening that is so creepy that it's a man dressed up as his mother with her dead body in the room. Like, it's so scary in my opinion. So um, I just fell in love with Psycho. And then, uh, obviously, as I say, going on to, to find things like Rear Window, Vertigo, uh, Rope. I'm trying to think what other ones. I, I just went on this huge DVD buying spree. Um, I got box sets of the original Man Who Knew Too Much. I got a double pack with that and... The 39 Steps, it came as a double pack. I've still got that. Then I've got like a six pack that has um, Strangers on a Train, North by Northwest, I Confess, The Wrong Man. Um, films like, like I just I just dove straight in. Like I just, I was just all about Hitchcock for a few years. Um, you know, just like, obsessed not obsessed with the man himself um and obviously now going on to read how much of a, a shit he was it's, it's not great but I, I just the the films he produced i wasn't you know doing deep dives on the wikipedia and how he produced them i was just i was just watching them and i just watched them constantly for for those sort of beginning of my teenage years so 
Hedgecocks are just is the reason I love cinema the way the way um, the way I do. It's because of him. That's interesting. That's, that's actually a very similar story to me. Probably when I was about nine or ten, my mom had borrowed from the library. First, we watched The Birds, and then later, North by Northwest. And and those two movies were just like so eye opening for me. Of like, oh, there is actually something going on. It's not just like something you put on TV or you go out and see or whatever. There's actually some some real craft to it. And and those were two real eye opening movies for me. Yeah, a hundred percent. And also the thing that that my parents were liking them as well because obviously you know around about the same time I was getting into this is is it's around about the same era. Uh, if I'm talking, I'm, I'm like 11, 12-ish, about then. That's like Lord of the Rings is in the cinema, Harry Potter's in the cinema. My parents don't really care about that sort of stuff. Um, so watching films that they were like, oh, we watched this when we were younger, and also we think it's really good. It's not like a kid's film. There's something else. It, it just... I never really watched films with my dad like that before, so... Um, I keep repeating myself, but it has to be Hitchcock. It has to be for me. I love it. Now, we talked uh, off the top about how you also love the Oscars as well. So I'm curious to know, what is your favorite Best Picture winner of all time? So I, you sent me this question through, and I immediately Googled Oscar Best Picture winners. and went through them all to see which ones I'd seen, because if I am correct, you have seen them all, every single Best Picture winner. That is correct. That is insane. <laughs> I think that is insane. <laughs> uh, I have not come remotely close to that. You know, you get you get to like the seventies and eighties before I start seeing more than one a decade. Um, so I've not seen as many as you. Not even remotely as many as you, because you've seen them all, and I've not even seen uh, a quarter. The only decade I've seen all of them is the 2010s, the 2010s. Um, I haven't seen all the Best Picture winners for the 90s or for the 2000s. So I was limited in my choice, so I decided that I'm going to go horror here. I'm going to go with the Sands of Lamps. That a is a terrific for a horror fan. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's terrific. And I remember we were we were messaging each other, messaging each other back and forth one day when, I, I forget what website it was, where they're like, all horror best picture nominees ranked and it was like all six of them and it was just like the most lazy article ever and you and i had a good laugh about that where it was like they they ranked it not on quality but based on how scary it was and it was kind of a very arbitrary critic uh criteria that they were using to begin with but yeah we, we had a good laugh about that but either way silence of the lamps terrific movie regardless if it's you consider it a horror movie or not which i know a lot of people don't consider it horror that ba- that baffles me um i i absolutely consider, but my sort of spectrum of what is horror is quite wide um because i'm willing to accept like, I, I, I consider Jaws a horror film. I also accept that Jaws is like an adventure film. That's fine. You can be multi-genre. That's not a problem for me. The Silence of the Lambs is a horror film to me. A guy has a woman trapped in his basement for most of the movie. Like, that's, that's not just like an everyday... I, I guess most people consider it a thriller. It's a horror for me. Um, and the reason I love it so much is I... I'm a massive fan of Hannibal, the TV series with Matt Mikkelsen. I love that show so much. 
And so when that show was on, I was obviously going through the phase of like, Mads Mikkelsen's the best Hannibal. Like Brian Cox and Anthony Hopkins, you know, forget about it. Um, and then I think it was last year or maybe two years ago on the podcast, we did the quote Hannibal Lecter franchise, which isn't strictly a franchise because Manhunter is with Brian Cox and it's not connected to Anthony Hopkins because then they remade it with Red Dragon, blah, blah, blah. But we did all the, the films. We didn't do any of the TV stuff, but we did the, the movies. And when I put Sansa Lambs on, regardless of whether I think Matt Mikkelsen is a better Hannibal than Hopkins or not, the film just works, man. That film is so good. And Hopkins is great in it. Jodie Foster is great in it. I think um, the way the film sort of frames her as this sole female in this FBI masculine work, like I think it does it so well. It's so interesting to watch. I get the criticisms for the um, the transgender issue. I'm, I'm trying to think exactly what they, they classified Buffalo Bill as because then at one point Hannibal says he's not trans... Is it not transsexual? Is that what he says? He's not transsexual because they're usually passive. I can't remember the exact terminology and the way they phrase it. I get that the film's trying to do the work and I get that it doesn't go far enough and I accept the criticism. But also I view it through the lens of it's 1991. I think mm-hmm. they felt at the time we've done enough to say that this person is not like this entire group of people and they might be naive in thinking they've done the work. So I think it's it's a fault of... It is a fault of the movie, but I think it doesn't exist in a vacuum. And so I think for what it's trying to do, its intentions are good because obviously... Um, I have forgotten the name of the director of this movie. Who directs Sansa Lambs? Jonathan Demme. That's it, Jonathan Demme. His next film was Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, which I have also not seen, but I am aware that, and I know that people have criticisms of Philadelphia, but that he is trying to, trying to, uh, it's kind of, I don't know if apology is the right word, but he's trying to make a movie about uh, a group of people that he feels that he might have demonized by mistake almost um, so I I think Sansa Lambs is worthy of criticism it's not a perfect movie but for films that win Best Picture that I enjoy uh, I mean that movie just plays it's so good mm-hmm. it's, it's a movie that is so economical with the entire runtime, where every single second is so crucial to the story and there, there's no wasted moments at all there's no fat in this movie at all so it, it's it's one of the few movies where you put it on and you're like this is objectively as close to a, a perfect movie as you can kind of get when you're crafting a narrative that, yeah that's 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 exactly it it was as i said on our, on our own podcast when we put on I was sort of in the sort of cynical mindset of ah, this movie's not this movie's not aged the tv series has, has has changed my view on Hannibal. I can't watch Hopkins anymore. And I was just watching it going, nah, this movie, this movie absolutely slaps. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so um, for Best Picture winner, I have to pick that. The only one that would compete, in my opinion, for me, is uh, is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's another, that's another massive film. Again, a pretty basic pick. But out of all the Best Picture winners I've seen, I think it's undeniably one of the best. 
That's a that's a pretty fantastic pick as well. So I'm I'm happy with either of them. But uh, <laughs> let's get to the flip side of this coin. And uh, what's your least favorite best picture winner that you've seen? Okay, so again, didn't have quite so many to to choose, mainly because I'm usually not that against the best picture winner that ends up being the case. I get sometimes they're a bit boring and a bit safe, but usually I think they're outright terrible movies. So I picked a movie that I didn't outright hate, but I wasn't a massive fan of. I wasn't a fan of the film that it beat, or the films that it beat at the time, and I'm not a fan of the fact that it has gone on to give this director some, like, carte blanche, basically, to make whatever he wants, which is Tom Hooper and uh, and The King's Speech. <laughs> That's an interesting pick, yeah. That, I definitely see that mention as, as one that people are, are not a fan of winning, especially considering what it did beat that year. It was a pretty mm-hmm. stacked lineup. Uh, that's the social network year, isn't it? As far as I'm aware, yes. Um, yeah. But I've picked it, like I've got brackets here, I've picked it specifically for Tom Hooper. I yeah. I haven't seen The Damned United, which I hear is actually quite good. Um, he directed that, I hope, because otherwise that's, uh, that's doesn't make any sense. But I think he did. Then I saw The King's Speech, which, I, I th- again, I thought it was fine. I kind of get why it's going to win an Oscar. It's a safe pick. But I hated Les Mis, like hated it. And so before you even get to the Danish girl or cats, I was already off the Tom Hooper train, which I was never really on to begin with. But Les Mis, so many people had just raved about it. And I watched Les Mis at home. Uh, I was home alone one weekend and I was like, I need to watch Les Mis. Everybody tells me it's great. So I put it on. I was in the mood for a musical and I watched it and I hated all of it. (laughs) And then the next night I watched... The the last five years, the Anna Kendrick um, musical. It's based on like an off Broadway show or whatever. Now it's not like an Oscar winner. It's not great, but I had way more fun watching that musical than I did. Like I hated Lee Mis with a passion. So the fact that Tom Hooper has gone on to these projects because of his Best Picture win, um, well, maybe not because, but I think it's because of that. I've got to pick the King's Speech. I think it's. A boring, safe choice that's led to worse and worse films, in my opinion. You know, I, I see the logic, and I completely agree with it. And uh, I will I will counter with The Damn United is a pretty good film. We did mm-hmm. a podcast episode, 152 Cultural uh, Sports Movie Exchange, where I had uh, the guys from Please Watch This On, who are both British, and so they recommended a British sports film, which was The Damn United, and I recommended a Canadian sports film, which was Goon, a hockey movie. Yeah. Uh, and so we talked about both of those and sort of the differences. But yeah, uh, I, I agree. He has certainly gone downhill, and his choice of movies is terrible. His over-the-top direction is terrible. And oh, tell me it's it. it, it just not good, yeah. <laughs> I remember saying to the people when, like, as I, after I watched Les Mis, and people were, you know, oh, raving about it, what did you think? And I, I just remember thinking, it did, I did enjoy it, but I was like, that movie's so ugly. It's so ugly to watch. And people just <laughs> couldn't, they couldn't understand what I was saying. They were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, it is just the, this constant fisheye lens, people right up in front of you, slabbing all over the place. Like, what, what are you getting from that? I, 
yeah, I hated Les Mis. So I'm blaming the King's, the King's speech for Les Mis, the Danish girl, and cats. So it's the King's speech. That That is completely fair. All right. <laughs> Continuing on this negative train, what was the last movie you walked out of or turned off? So the the last movie I walked out of, I haven't walked out of a film in the cinema. I don't think since uh, uh, since I was a kid. Um, and I went to see The Aviator with friends, and they were bored stiff. Talking going back to Scorsese, they were bored stiff, so they walked out, and I was like you know, whatever age I was when that film came out. I was like, I'm not staying here myself if all my friends are leaving. So I walked out of the aviator. Um, but that seems like quite a while ago. I'm trying to think. I, I, I've got one for Turned Off. I've got, I've got one for Turned Off, but I want to get one that walked out of. The closest I can give you for walked out of the cinema is Midsummer, but it's not for the reasons you think. It's because I was so excited for Midsummer, the Florence Pugh um, horror movie, I was so buzzing for it. We went with a group of friends and they knew how buzzing I was for it. And I was like, guys, the film's about to start. Let's let's go. We're out for dinner. And we paid the bill and they were walking to the cinema and they, these people are just dilly-dally. And so I just walked on. I just walked on myself. I was like, see you later. And I went and then I realized, oh, I don't have the tickets. Someone else. So I'm going to wait for them. And then by the time they showed up, got into the cinema it was maybe five, six minutes into the movie, and I was like, "No, nah, I'm not having this." And I was like, "I walked, I walked out, I went downstairs and spoke to the set, and was like, can I ch- exchange this for a later showing?' And I'll just go myself, and I just watched it myself, um, which they thought was kind of weird, but that's the closest to walking out. But um, I didn't actually walk out; it was just because it started, and I was really, I was really annoyed with it for taking their time. <laughs> I, I love that. That's that's a fantastic story. And I love that you you had the nerve to be like, no, I am exchanging this ticket. I'm not missing these first five minutes. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, um, you know, oh, did you miss that much? Not really. There's a couple of things I missed that I would have liked to have seen. And so I did. But um, on the whole, I think I would have understood the movie regardless. But my, my feeling is if you miss the first five, six minutes of The Sixth Sense that movie doesn't hit the same way, in my opinion. So I don't want to run the risk of that. Um, so that's the closest I can give you while walking out. The one I can give you for turning off is Spiral, the the sort of, the original sequel to the Japanese Ring. Have you heard of this movie? I had never heard of this movie. No, no so never heard of it. Ringu, the, 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 the Japanese Ring, um. I first heard of it because Arrow Video had released like a, a box, a really lovely box set of the original Ring trilogy, I think it is. Um, and I just remember seeing it in a store and was like, oh, that looks cool. I haven't seen these movies. So I was reading the back. Oh, it's got all three films and what special features has it got? And then it said oh, on the the DVD for Ringu, it also has the original sequel, Spiral. And I was like, the original sequel? Surely that would be Ring 2, which is in this box set. What is the original sequel Spiral? So I went home and read about it. So apparently, if Wikipedia is to be believed, Ringu and its sequel Spiral were released in Japanese cinemas on the same day in whatever year it was, 97, 98, I don't know exactly, but Ringu was such a success and Spiral was such a flop that they ended up 
sort of retconning Spiral out and making Ring 2, which is now the sequel to Ringu. But Spiral, this film exists. So I was like ready for like a lost masterpiece. I was ready for a lost. So I watched Ringu um, on Amazon Prime. And then I, I was like, I'm not watching Ring 2. I'm going to the original sequel. I'm going first to Spiral. And man, that film is boring. So <laughs> I can see why they retconned it out immediately. Interesting. Yeah, I've never, I've never heard of that. I even this phenomenon of releasing uh, two movies at the exact same time just yeah. sounds so out there to me. Like, why, why would they even consider doing that? Would they not want to at least capitalize, like, on the success of one and wait for it and release it six months later or something? I don't know. That's so crazy to me. That yes, again, as I say, I got all this from Wikipedia, so a grain of salt is required. But I didn't know that the ring. Um, it's based on a series of books. It's 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 books before movies. And so Spiral is, as far as I believe, Fat Spiral is the original book sequel. And so they made that and released the two at the same time. But Spiral doesn't have a lot to do with the girl coming out of the TVs and all that sort of stuff. Um, so people didn't really like Spiral. So I was, yeah, I put it on expecting like a, a lost masterpiece. And that's not what I got. So I turned it off because I thought it was pretty boring. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, that's good to know. In case I ever decide to delve into the world of Ringu, I will skip that one. <laughs> Absolutely. They, as I say, they retcon it immediately. The next film, Ring Two, is now is like this is the sequel to Ring. They just forget about the other movie altogether. Interesting. Okay. Um, so what is, uh, speaking on more positive notes, what's an underrated movie more people need to see? So I had, I, I had an answer for this. And then last night I was just washing the dishes, home alone, uh, just washing the dishes. And I thought, actually, I'm going to put on the, the last episode, or the most recent episode you've done like this, where you ask people 10 questions. And I could be wrong, but I think it is Rachel was the most recent one. That's the one I ended up sticking on anyway. So I'm watching the edition, I'm listening, and he gets to this question, and she says, coherence. And I immediately scream, basically. And I'm like, oh, that's my pick! That's my pick. <laughs> so it's already been said, but um, I've got another one, but I want to double down on coherence. Coherence is a great sci-fi movie that not enough people have seen. So I'm doubling down on that pick before I get to my 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 replacement choice. Have you seen it since? Because you know, I think you had seen it at the time. I I have not, and uh, I, I just know this moment that we're recording, I am just expecting Rachel to text me and just be so boastful <laughs> and gleeful uh, in that you're agreeing with her because she loves nothing more than someone agreeing with her and, be, and disagreeing with me. Yeah, I um, I don't even know how I came across Coherence. I don't know if I read it from somewhere. One of my cousins, I've got cousins in Ireland, has seen it. And it's the only person I know that has seen it. Um, and they were like, that movie rocks. And I was like, yes, it does. It's so low budget. It's basically um, people in a house and then all their power goes out, except one house at the end of the street. So they send a couple of people off to go to that house and the camera stays in the original dinner party. And when they come back, they come back with a series, like a box, which is filled with their photographs. And it's they've all got numbers written on the back. And, they're, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Why does this house have our photographs? 
why is every house in the, the street, why is the power all out except for that house? What's happening? And then there's knocks at the doors, but there's no one there, and it just goes wild. And it's crazy what you can do with no budget and limited location if you have an excellent story and an idea. Like, Coherence is unbelievable, in my opinion. It's a great low-budget movie that not enough people have seen. But that's not my choice, but I want to double down on that choice. <laughs> well, then what is your real choice then, Cal? My real choice now, my replacement choice, is a German film called Lose. Um, I think it's from 2018, which is, it's a horror film. So um, I'm sorry, going back into the world of horror. Um, but it's like a really sort of weird, experimental, retro, low-budget horror film. Um, it's about a young woman taxi driver who ends up in a police station because of an accident and then there's a demon and hypnosis i can't actually really remember because i haven't seen it since 2018 but i saw it at the glasgow film festival a couple of years ago me and my wife went and as big horror fans buzzing for this movie that people say is good but it's so low budget but who knows and um she absolutely hated it, and I was like, that's one of the best films I've seen this year. I, uh, I loved it. Um, so not enough people have seen Lose, because not enough people have heard of Lose. Um, and I don't think it's particularly scary, so I wouldn't say a non-horror fan should turn it off, and it's not overly gory, and the effects are so, like, it's kind of like a, a retro VHS sort of thing from, like, the 80s. And it really sort of leans into that aesthetic. But uh, I just remember just being gripped at the screen. Um, and I have not heard a single person talk about it since since we saw it. So by virtue of that, it must be um, underrated, in my opinion. Well, I've never even heard of it, so it has to be underrated. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd recommend checking out Lose from 2018. It's by a director called Tillman Singer. I believe it's his debut film. I would not confuse it with a Colombian film called Lose the Flower of Evil, which we went to see at the Glasgow Film Festival the year after, so that would have been 2019. And the reason we went was we saw Lose last year. There's a film called Lose this year, so we have to go right in. Um, and <laughs> he said I hated that one as well. But I also hated the Colombian one. It's it's really, really bad. So so don't confuse the two. One of them's called Lose. The other one's called Lose the Flower of Evil. And the one is just Lose, just one word, German. That's the one to go for. It's excellent. Interesting. Okay, well, that's good to know. Now, we're here at the spiciest portion of this questionnaire. <laughs> Callum, what is an unnecessary hot take you have about a movie? You're impossibly fast and strong. You gotta give me some answers. I'd rather hear your theories. I have considered radioactive spiders and kryptonite. It's all superhero stuff, right? What if I'm not the hero? What if I'm the bad guy? I know what you are. Your skin is hell white and ice cold. You don't go out into the sunlight. Say it out loud. Say it. Vampire. Are you afraid? No. Emphasis on the unnecessary. I know, man. This is that that really, really uh, threw me for a loop. I read this question so many times because I was like, <laughs> I can think of a hot take, but unnecessary. And so the, the, the take I've ended up with 
I don't know if it's that unnecessary to be all to um, to be honest with you. It's it's a take, I guess, but I don't even know if it's a hot take anymore. Like I've just doubted myself so much. I read this question so many times, and I was like, I need to stay away from horror because I've given horror answers throughout this, and I want to give a cinema answer. Or I want to give something interesting. And then I was like, right, is that a hot take? Yes. But then is it unnecessary? No, not really. And then one thing would be, and I just, so the take I've ended up with, it's up to you to decide, one, whether it's a hot take, and two, how unnecessary a take it is. But uh, I'll let you be the judge. My take, and I only came up with this about an hour before we started recording, because as I say, this question really, really done a number on me. But uh, it's that uh, Robert Pattinson and uh, Kirsten Stewart are actually very good in the Twilight films. I think that's a pretty hot take. Fair enough. Um, the reason I sort of fell into this is I've, I watched, I, uh, me and Zella, we watched the Twilight films earlier this year. Just like, I've grown less cynical as I've aged so um, from being like, I laugh at those movies, they're so silly, to sort of realizing, well, I'm part of this online joke that these movies suck and, you know, like, bear love story than Twilight. But I haven't actually seen these movies, so I should give them a shot, I think. So we watched, we watched them all, and I came away with it thinking, I don't like the narrative that's been written, which is that, oh... Turns out, Robert Pattinson and Kirsten Stewart are actually great actors all along. Who would have known from Twilight? I think they do exactly what they need to do in that film. You might think it's bad, but that doesn't make them bad actors. They are doing this... Like, just look at how big they became. And it's aimed at teenage girls or whatever, as painting with a broad brush as that is. That is who it's aimed at. And these people fell in love with these characters. They did it. They knock it out of the park. They do exactly what is required for those movies. Um, so just, I don't like this, like the idea, like oh, they now do serious work, so therefore they are good actors. No, they're maybe now more serious actors, but they're still good in the Twilight movies. In my opinion, I think they do exactly what is written and required of them. So that's my take. That. Uh, they didn't just evolve into great actors because they now do more prestige work, which I love as well. Before it seems like I'm like wanting Robert Pattinson and Kirsten Stewart to go back to teenage drama. No, I love the Lighthouse, and I'm very excited to see Spencer. So you know, keep doing what you're doing, but it doesn't just evolve out of nothing. There is a base there in Twilight of their acting ability, in my opinion. That, that's very fascinating. I've only seen New Moon, and my recollection of it was that it was a god-awful, terrible movie, but it was more to do with the contrivances and plot holes and ridiculous dialogue of the movie than the two of them. Well, I'll tell you right now that New Moon is probably my least favorite of it. Not probably. I think it's my least favorite of the franchise. I'm trying to remember. It's definitely one of two. And I'm trying to think if New Moon was bottom or second bottom. But it was absolutely agreed New Moon is not a good movie. So I wouldn't judge it based on New Moon. I would say Twilight... I I mean, I like how ridiculous Twilight gets. So 
you know, the last two movies do end up getting pretty damn ridiculous, and I'm there for it. Um, so I'm, I don't know if I would call myself like a, a twihard. I haven't read the books. I haven't <laughs> done anything ridiculous like I have. I know people who have, um, or not have, but when they were like, you know, 16, 17, and these movies were out, um, these girls would change their MySpace name so it would be their first name and then Cullen at the end which is so cringy, but, you know, teenage girls be teenage girls on MySpace, apparently. Uh, so I haven't gone that far down the rabbit hole, but I did think, do you know what? These movies, they're aimed at a certain audience, and I think they, they do what they need to do. But New Moon is arguably the worst of the bunch, so um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't base it too much on that. Oh, and also as well, Team Edward, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From from what I remember seeing, uh, Jacob, played by Taylor Lautner, was probably the bad, the real bad actor of the group. Yeah, not only that, but like his character is so annoying. I, oh my god, I could go down a rabbit hole with that as well. But um, I'm just, it's fascinating to me that the culture had this massive Team Edwards or Team Jacob and this divide. And I watched the films, and after basically every film, would turn uh, to his other my wife and say. I still can't believe that this is even a discussion. It's clearly Edward. I, I don't get what the what the drama is. So they have their problems, those movies. I don't deny it, but they're aimed at a certain audience. And I think uh, R. Pats and Case Stew, I, 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 I think they do exactly what is required of them. So that's my unnecessary hot take, if you will allow it. I will allow it, and I like it very much. <laughs> Callum. I want to thank you so much for coming on this show. What have you been working on and where can people find Scare Traducing? Yes, um, I've been working on not a lot recently, but Scare Traducing is our podcast. It's Instagram, Twitter um, is how you can follow us. It's just at Scare Traducing and all that nonsense. Um, you can find our podcast on you know Spotify, iTunes, all the, the usual places. Our last episode, as I said, was Halloween Kills Stroke Titan. The last great episode we had was, was Malignant. I'm not going to deny it. We were both absolutely on board for that film. Since then, we've mainly had discussions about what should we be doing with the podcast. So it slowed down a bit and we haven't really done much. So if you're wondering where we've been, that's where we've been, which is watching films and then not talking about them. Which, um, <laughs> so we're hopefully going to figure it out by, I'd say maybe by January time. I'm, I'm sort of looking at uh, Scream 5, the new Scream film, and thinking that might be the, the bit to sort of reintroduce us to the world. Um, so until then, go back. We've got franchises. We've got what were new releases at the time. Um, but it's all horror. But uh, if you want to DM us or tweet us any opinions about cinema, whether it's Oscar films or animated films, we will always engage because, as I say, we, we do love it all. So that's where we've been. Now, I'll just say put this out there. I don't know if you have plans to do it or not, but last year I loved when you did your year-in-review two-part episode and you basically went chronologically through the year of every big horror release and kind of talked about them and put them in context. I love those two episodes, so I don't know if you're planning on doing that again for this Ooh. year or not, but I'm just putting it out there. I enjoyed them. 
Do you know what? I might I might take you up on that and think that's that's probably a good idea. I tried an episode last night myself. As I say, I'm home alone this weekend, so um, I was a bit bored and I thought I haven't done a podcast in a while. Let I just do it myself. Like I just turn on the mic and and go. And so I watched uh, a film from 1982 called Ghost Watch, a British BBC thing, which I ended up loving. So any fans of Ghost Watch out there, uh, count me in. Um, but the uh, our mics are, are pretty. We've, we're talking about getting new microphones and new setup. That's that's sort of what the, the delay is because we've become sort of dissatisfied with how our podcast sort of sounds on the whole. Sometimes we'll get a good one in, and then sometimes we'll get a pretty crap one. So, so that episode gets scrapped <laughs> almost immediately. But um, I might figure it out before the end of the year and do a year in review. I could do that myself. That's uh, nobody's going to stop me, are they? You know, I do what I want. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And uh, let me know what your thoughts are on Callum saying that the Twilight films are actually good and Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart are actually good in that. Uh, send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you'd like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there too. Thanks for checking us out.